Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from TheNextReel.com. Today, we're talking about Minute 27, which begins with Odin literally arriving on a horse to save the day and ends with Laufey not very happy with how diplomatic relations are going. Joining us on the show today is Steve Sarmento, another Next Real veteran. He's the host of the Trailer Rewind podcast, or I should say one of the hosts. The other host, JJ, will be joining us on Friday. So can I get both of you here? And so, Steve, so glad to have you here. What do you love about Thor? What do I love about Thor? Oh, well, you know, <laughs> I think Andy knows Thor is one of the characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that I struggle with the most, actually. And, and this film is one that, on first viewing, I I really did not connect with. But as I've watched it uh, more times, there's there's something uh, special about this one that I, I didn't connect with. And I think it is really ties into this minute, which is that that transformation, that character arc of Thor uh, is is really what I've connected with this one on, on repeated viewings. I, I really like the, the arc of, of this character in this film. I mean, this is something that some of our other guests have said as well. It, and it's certainly what I've talked about. I think the way I kind of feel it now is if you look at Thor and Loki's entire story as a multi-act play, you know, this is act one. And on its own, maybe it's not the best, but it's still good. It's a lot better than Act 2, that's for sure. Um, not everyone feels that way, and that's fine. But yeah, once you know where it goes in Ragnarok and then Adventures and then the Loki TV show, it gives everything that happens here so much more power and significance that, yeah, I feel like I've, I've just uh, so much more appreciation for it now. So what are your thoughts about the end of the Jotun Beast? And where do you stand with Team Laufey? Join our Facebook group, the Marvel Movie Minute Podcast Executive Lounge, and get in on the conversation about these topics. We're also on Instagram and Twitter. Just go to truestory.fm slash marvelmovieminute and click on the link for the social of your choice. Let's dive right into this minute and... Because a lot happens, actually, in this minute. We get a lot of plot. Uh, and we start with Loki and Sif. We get just kind of reaction shots of them as everyone is closing in. They're literally, their backs up against the cliff and the frost giants are, and it seems like no help is coming. What, what do you think is kind of going on in both of their heads? Well, it's it's an interesting start to this minute because we're coming right on the heat. I mean, it's it's an interesting break because it is this, this reaction shot, and without the context of the prior minute, uh, when when I just viewed this minute, you know, first time because I hadn't watched the movie in a while, I said, "Oh well, I, I know the general story. Let me look at this minute." And I'm like, "What is going on? What are they <laughs> reacting to?" Because it's just these close-ups of them just turning and looking. I'm like, "What? And this is where editing comes into play. What are they looking at? What are they reacting to?" And then we get that. Uh, that overhead shot of the frost giants for me. I thought, ah, now, now I remember this is that, what did we get ourselves into following Thor along on this journey? Because we are ill-equipped to be handling the mess that he got us into. I feel like it's the, oh, oh, what did we do this time? Yeah. What did we do? And what did Thor do? What did yes. Thor get us into? Yeah. Why did we listen to him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially because yeah. like Sif and Loki, well, Loki, we know, has all of his own thoughts. Sif was the one who was the most like, Loki, we shouldn't, uh, Thor, we shouldn't do this. So Yeah, it is forbidden. Yeah. Exactly. 
So then we get another one of those uh, God's eye shots in the Andes, how you referred to them. This great overhead shot of the giants attacking. And then just in that moment, like literally riding in on a silver eight-legged horse, the last part not being (laughs) often a part of the myths, but roll with me here. Odin shows up. Does he just have perfect dramatic timing? Was he watching for the moment they attacked and then he just instantaneously came down here? Like, what's what's going on there? Well, it's, it's what literally deus ex machina, right? You've got the god god coming down out of the sky to to resolve the issue, right? I mean, perfect, impeccable timing. Uh, but uh, for me, what uh, just I I love this this moment this this shot the way it's it's framed the the luminosity of everything that really captures like the i guess the the presence the overwhelming presence of odin and all his glory and spectacle this is one of those moments where i feel like the bifrost stays on just a little bit extra long just for dramatic purpose like <laughs> like he really loves this backlit moment to have with the bifrost shining on him because i mean it's, it's so beautiful i can't get over just like the frames of seeing odin on on sleep near his eight-legged steed when he's rearing up it's it's just fantastic yeah i mean such a noble shot Odin clearly has all the gravitas and majesty that Thor so desperately wants to have. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I, right, and, right. and cause you can see, like, part of me is like, why don't the Frost Giants just keep attacking? It's just one more dude. But yeah, you can see why it's like, well, all right, we're going to wait. Uh, yeah. let, let's talk a little bit about that horse because the story of it's pretty fun. If you'll indulge me for a second, cause, cause, I don't think we get any of this in the, in this movie, certainly. And I don't think, um, it's gone into in the comics. But for any of you who, while the Loki TV show was playing, people were talking about just what a crazy life Loki had had. And then among other things, in the mythology, he at one point became a horse, had sex with another horse, and then gave birth to a third horse. This is that <laughs> third horse. So oh. Loki's father oh. has arrived on Loki's child. Um, <laughs> given the time... Loki's, Loki's adopted father, at least. Yes, and, yes. And it, it's a fun story, because I, I think it tells so much about Loki's character in the mythology. The way the story goes is that a, uh, a man had come to Asgard and promised to build this great wall to protect Asgard. And there's all sorts of shenanigans, but, like, Loki convinces everybody to let him do it, because they all think he's going to fail, and then he has to owe them this great payment. And I believe if he wins, he gets um, Freya's hand in marriage. And, and she, the moon and the sun. And the moon and the sun. <laughs> and she does not like this plan at all. And and this is actually a very common thing. Because what happens is that Loki's the one to convince them it's okay. And Loki convinces them it's okay if this guy uses his horse for help. And... This is a very common theme in the mythology that Loki will talk himself into and then talk himself out of trouble. Because what winds up happening is that they do a fantastic job. Most of the wall is built. Everyone's freaking out. Everyone's saying, Loki, we're going to kill you if this works out. No one can figure out how to stop this guy. Except Loki realizes that the horse is the key to it all. So that's when Loki becomes a female horse and does the thing that female horses do to distract male horses from their appointed rounds. And the two of them go, you know, off into the woods and have fun. And the guy can't build the wall and everything is okay. But then Loki stays as a horse and gives birth to Sleepnir. So Sleepnir, yeah. None of that's in the movie, but it's just such a ridiculous <laughs> off-the-wall story that I figured we had to tell it. 
It oh, is crazy. Sure. It is crazy. There is actually another story uh, that I believe is the one that's in the comics, and this is where uh, Thor was having to defend Midgard from an army of the undead. So now we're into the zombie uh, territory. Very okay. what if? Uh, they but the enchantress had brought them here, and he takes his steeds: uh, Slaughterbit, Swamptooth, Snow Harpy, Smokemare, Stormbringer, Mudbrute, Fire Gnaw, and Warhoof. <laughs> Very subtle names, <laughs> yeah, right? And 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 he had agreed uh, to to pilot the Blood Colossus to fight the undead, as long as the humans did not eat his horses when they died, so that they could reincarnate. The humans, of course, betrayed him. They ate all the horses, and he took their remains, brought them back to Asgard, and then with magic from all the the pieces of those horses, he created Sleipnir. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, very dramatic stories to get this horse. Yes. <laughs> this is how a horse ends up with eight legs, I guess. <laughs> I, and I just look at that and think, okay, it, it's it's gorgeous, rearing up with the four legs and all that. And then I'm thinking, I want to see how this thing gallops. You know, how right? do those legs work together? Is it twos and twos? Is it all you know? Because as a horse runs, yeah, how 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 are they not getting tangled up in each other? Because yeah. I, I wonder what that looks like. And does it, are you doubling the horsepower with, you know, double the legs? How, you know, what, what is really the that, benefit? Yeah. I don't know what's the good. Like, okay, more yeah. legs. Why? Yeah. <laughs> According to the, the myths, this horse Odin could go real fast on. I mean, we, I, I think they decided, you know what? It's too complicated. We'll just show it rearing up. Yeah. That's good enough for the movie. But it, yes. I mean, supposedly he could ride really fast on it and he would actually use this to get to hell. One of the, at the very bottom of Yggdrasil. So on the complete opposite end. So he would use this horse to go back and forth, uh, between, um, Asgard and the land of the dead. So I, maybe that's why it has eight legs, but uh, yeah, I just have a feeling they're like, that is really complicated. <laughs> and, and we have to yes. remember here also, I mean, Part of why Stan Lee and Jack Kirby could fill in so much of the story is we don't actually know that much of the story. You know, we have two documents that are kind of the two source materials, both from Iceland. And so, like, the Norwegian version may have been different, the German version may have been different, and then lots of other records of them. But there isn't one definitive thing because it's a myth. People told it and told, you know, like— even Greek myths, you know, the, the primary understanding is that Aphrodite arose from the, the waves. But there's three other versions of the Aphrodite birth story out there. So, yeah. Yeah, right. Who right. knows? Maybe the legs had a purpose. Here they look kind of badass. Um, I still don't <laughs> understand why Thor and his friends had to leave their horses behind if yeah. he could come in on a horse. But what are you going to do? I feel like that has to be a Heimdall rule. Like, you know, nobody gets to bring their horses. Oh, it's Odin. All right. Well, I can't say no to you. But... Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. But it does make me wonder, and, and I'll have to think about this, when we go to, like, Thor the Dark World, when they go to, I think they go to Vanaheim, um, are they, do they bring their horses, or, just, or is it just them? Oh, I, I just, I honestly yeah. can't remember, and so, mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious about that, yeah. Right. So he makes a great entrance, and then Thor, you know, just a few moments ago, we talked yesterday that there seems to be a moment where he gets that, like, they're completely outnumbered. Maybe this was a bad idea. But now all that's gone because he shouts, Father, we'll finish them, we'll finish them together. First of all, he says this with his back turned, which, <laughs> like, telling a whole bunch of people that this new guy just came and you're going to kill them when anything could just stab him in the back. 
bad strategy, Thor. But of course, silence is the word just that comes from uh, uh, Odin. What do you get, what do you get out of this interaction here, besides Thor's very poor situational awareness? Well, especially because, like, a- as we see when Odin arrives. Like his arrival is actually one of the moments that spurs some of the frost giants because uh, we when we saw them earlier, like none of them had created the weapons with their hands. They all were barefisted. Even as they're approaching them, we never see them forming the ice weapons with their hands. The arrival of Odin is the moment where like we actually start seeing them forming these ice weapons on their arms. So it's like it triggers that that defensive movement in them. So yeah, it seems it seems kind of foolish to be not facing them, I suppose. Well, it, what's interesting in the audio is now as I were, I don't remember my geography really well about where they are. I know they're on the edge of the cliff and maybe that's why, but you know, there's an echo to to Thor's line of of that and I thought okay, they're in a cavernous space and I don't know if it's supposed to be echo out of the canyon, but then when Odin sort of almost hisses his silence. There's something really, I, I don't, I don't know if I want to say sinister about it, but it's, there's, there's some frustration, anger and all that that I think is really there to express his frustration and disappointment with Thor. And it's to me a very interesting dynamic. Cause again, this is for me, like the pivotal piece with Thor, this character, this initiates really his arc from I am the warrior. I am, I'm the next in line. I am the king. I am going to do what my father did. I'm going to go and take care of these frost giants once and for all. And for, for Odin to really just shut him down in this moment to me is a really dramatic moment. And I, I just wonder if that's why the, the echo or reverb was on the audio to just sort of lend some weight to this moment because I think it is really a, a crucial pivotal point in their relationship with each other. I, I think I think that's a really good point. I, I, I kind of had been half aware of that reverb thing, but hadn't really, you know, been able to put it into words. I'm so glad you named that. What came to mind for me, I don't, I don't know if this is an intentional reference, but it certainly really strikes me. And I, I think I may have mentioned this before, but I'll go into it now. There's a scene in the first Godfather movie where the family is sitting down with uh, uh, the Turk who wants to do drug, uh, get into a deal with them. And Sonny, the, the hot-headed son, you know, basically shows his hand and he expresses his feelings. And the Don just very calmly says, you know, just shh. And then later says, we don't argue in front of the enemy. You know, we keep that within the family. And that's kind of what I get from Odin at this moment, especially because the minute they're alone, Odin is angry and yelling at him. But I, I feel like in this moment, he just doesn't want Laufey to think they're a house divided. And he's just like, Thor, just just let the grownups handle this. It's so great, though, seeing his face. Like, he looks unhappy with Thor. And it may, like, the Frost Giants may not be able to see that, mm. but uh, but Thor certainly can. And with that silence, which is really like, I mean, that's not what you tell like your your uh, you know a commander of your troops if you're the if you're the the general here, right? You don't you don't whisper silence to them to get them mm-hmm. to shut up. Uh, it's like he is he's looking at him like a child who has done something very foolish and is now telling him you need to stop because you've made a mess and I have to now clean it up. And the look on Odin's face in that moment uh, is just so great, especially coming off that shot. Of Thor, who is just so, so excited about seeing his dad here, (laughs) only to have him just say, silence, like just, oh, just hisses it out. And then the way Thor's face just like goes into kind of confusion and he's just like, what, what? (laughs) 
But, and then, of course, I think we're going to say this phrase quite a lot this week, but we get another wonderful shot of Loki just stone face, not reacting, you know, yes, and just yeah, yeah. the wheels are turning. Whatever he's thinking is happening now. He's probably still kind of terrified. Um, and then Laufey makes this great entrance. And <laughs> I don't know if you're X-Men fans, but did you get kind yeah. of like, you know, uh, Iceman riding up on the ice when Laufey yes. like does exactly the same uh, thing? I oh, totally yeah. grew up on, you know, Spider-Man and Friends. And that's, yeah, yeah. I, I was like, oh, there he is. He's building his life. And, and that made me go, oh, maybe this is how the Frost Giants got from the palace to here so quickly. We were talking about that because there's this huge chasm now between the two. Uh, maybe they were all like shooting their little ice bridges and, and just scooting down here quickly. I don't know. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's a great entrance into frame for for Laufey because it's one of the few moments in in this minute because a lot of it is we're cutting from close ups to face to face and we if you pause that you really get a sense of the scale of Laufey as he as he rises up and you look at Odin on his on his steed there and look at Laufey who is just. I mean, that's why they're giants. Uh, I mean, you see, he is taller than Odin on his horse altogether because there's so many times just either in the, the combat, you know, ahead of this where it's just quick cutting back and forth. This gives me that moment of them in frame together. And it's one of the, the few moments that, you know, in a moment that isn't a big battle uh, where we get those those two in frame together. And it just reminded me of that's why they're called giants, because they are huge. Yeah. Well, and it's a great shot, too, because in that shot, well, one, you know, you really get a sense of kind of how things are in this area. Like when Odin landed on Sleepnir, he landed on like a big yeah. rock that's above everything. Yeah. So he's already yeah. towering over yes. the Asgardians, yeah. the Frost Giants, everybody. He's like the biggest person here. And then Laufey comes up, and now Laufey is just, I mean, he is enormous next to uh, the king. And then what's great about that is when we start intercutting from face to face, like, when we see Laufey's face, like it fills the frame, like yes. his face yeah. doesn't fit. And then when we cut to Odin, it's like, it's a much smaller face. And I love the way mm -hmm. they shot that to actually make it feel like there is this sense of this being being so much bigger than yeah. Odin. So, cause sometimes I feel like, eh, you know, I kind of struggle with the, the scale between the frost giants yeah. and the humans. Mm -hmm. But in moments like this, this here, I feel like this is like peak, like dealing with giants mm -hmm. and right. regular sized people. Especially because, and, and uh, Laufey will say this directly, but Laufey, he looks huge. He also looks healthy. I mean, he looks like yeah. emaciated, but he's, he looks like he's maybe like, and will be equivalent for us of our, you know, mid early forties. You know, he's still in good shape. Whereas Odin looks weary. He looks drawn. He looks yes. tired. Yeah. And that's, and Laufey starts with this very interesting sentence. All father, you look weary. Yeah. And it's clearly like it feels that kind of like feigned, like I'm trying to be caring, but I'm also like, dude, you're not as strong. I'm trying to remember though, did he call Odin All Father at the start of the movie? Can't remember if you called him All Father. I mean, that's kind of what what people call Odin, the All Father. Right. Um, uh, but I don't remember if Laufey specifically uh, said it at any point earlier today. I, I, I sort of watched again up through to this minute to just sort of refresh and con contextualize everything of where we were in the story. And I don't recall that at all, but I wasn't paying attention to it, but it is, it, it to me, it, it does give some sense of their, their history and their relationship to each other. And it, it is, again, I, I always take, I take that line as the, is there a little bit of the psychological warfare going on there of like, 
old man, you're not, you're not up for this. You're weary. You're worn out. You know, you're not going to win this time. Right. I don't think Laufey ever spoke in that scene we had in Norway because Odin was telling it through voiceover. I think it was, I don't think we ever heard any of them speak. It was just kind of watching them uh, perform. What, the reason I ask is because Odin being the Allfather, it, the idea is that he's the father of all the nine realms, and that's part of what gives him the authority to kind of rule over Jotunheim and Midgard and Hell and all them. And so it's interesting to me that he's kind of acknowledging that authority, at, because it, it kind of sets the tone, I think, for this whole conversation. I want to hear how you feel about it, because on the one hand, he doesn't seem like he's giving Odin any chance to negotiate, but it is somewhat like a lord petitioning a king of, you know, I'm acknowledging your authority, but your son was the one who screwed up. And that's a big thing here because, I mean, and Odin knows it. Odin knows yeah. Thor has made a huge blunder. He It was forbidden for him to come here. He came here. He may not know how much damage has been done here. Then again, he was just with Heimdall. And you were wondering, yeah. like, how did he know to land so perfectly? Well, it's like Heimdall probably said, eh, now's probably the right moment, um, <laughs> you know, but... Heimdall probably said, you know, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of dead frost giants down there now because mm -hmm. of yeah. uh, Thor and his friends. Right. And a very dead Jotun beast. And yes. a very dead Jotun beast, <laughs> right. Yeah, it was interesting because then, so Odin responds, Laufey, end this now. And even his voice seems not defeated, but he's quiet. You know, he's not mm -hmm. as in your face as Laufey is. Um, and, and then Laufey, of course, answers. Your boy sought this out. And then Odin, I think this is where he kind of really goes off the rails a bit. He says, you're right. These are the actions of a boy. Treat them as such. You and I can end yeah. this here and now before. And it seems like he's saying, look, I'm sorry he crashed his car into your tractor. I'll buy you a new tractor. <laughs> can we just forget about it? You know, and the kind of like right. spoiled rich father. But as you were saying, Andy, he killed many people. Like Thor has started yeah. a war. Yeah, he really has. I mean, it's it's... I, I, to come down here just to quote talk to Laufey and find out what had happened. I mean, it's it's really like a very grand thing that he has done, right? I mean, this is um, you know a major act that has happened here that is going to lead to war, and and Odin knows it. Odin is trying to find ways to at least kind of you know calm the situation so it doesn't. It just doesn't escalate, at least quite so quickly. But I think he knows that, you know, this is coming. Well, I, th I think it's also, I, I think due to just the history, I mean, this is where you get, uh, you know, I look at this as two political leaders in a negotiation and some kid comes in and, and throws a tantrum and starts knocking stuff around. It's like he doesn't understand the, the larger context and the complexities of what our relationship is. And sure, he's, he's stirred up some trouble, but he doesn't understand the more complex repercussions of his actions, which is, okay, something happened, you know, in Asgard, there were some, you know, spies or whatever that, that, that broke in. And so he came back, you know, in retaliation for that, not thinking about this is going to escalate to a much larger thing. This isn't just sort of a trading eye for an eye type of thing. This is, you know, instigating the larger conflict and i feel like that's what odin is you know there's been tension but clearly odin is you know understands this uh you know as he said you know 
back, you know, whatever minute this was, uh, you know, yeah, they broke in. We'll, we'll, we'll find the weaknesses. We'll patch those up. It's not worth going into this, uh, which is what triggers Thoroff. And I feel like that's what, what Odin is trying to get back to Luffy is like, look, we, we hammered out this agreement a long time ago. Don't let this throw all that away because neither one of us wants to, you know, get into a larger war with this. The stakes are much higher than Thor's little temper tantrum here. Mm-hmm. Well, and we have to remember, like, it's it's it was an agreement that they, quote, hammered out, but it was not in favor of the Frost Giants in oh, any no, way, no. shape, or form. Right. They had the Casket of Ancient Winters taken from their yeah. planet, which from, yeah. yes. from what we can tell right. is the thing that needs to be on the planet in order to keep the planet alive and healthy. And their planet's slowly falling apart. They are kind of, as a, as a, as a species kind of starting to wither away. And it's, it's just a mess down here on Jotunheim. And I'm like, if this is the, the peace treaty that you've come to, like, this is a terrible way to like come to that agreement. So I feel like to a certain extent, Laufey has probably been waiting for just the, the smallest thing to happen so that they could rise up again. I agree. I I wholeheartedly agree. You look at this from Laufey's side and he's like, Good. We, 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 you know, and this, this, that may have been what that mission was, was not to succeed in, in stealing the casket back, but to just goad them on to, yeah, bring it on because we, we need this because if we don't take action now, we're not going to last. You know, Odin's clearly at the point where, yeah, he doesn't want to risk the peace that he has, but I think you're right on it with this is Laufey's, you know, last surge to, to take things back, to, to reclaim, you know, their, you know, what, what they need to continue to, to thrive. I think that's such a good way of putting it, especially with what you're saying, Andy, uh, and how you phrase that, Steve, because I think, I'm a European history nut, and like to me, I look at this theory that the the uh, treaty they made. Uh, it reminds me of the Treaty of Versailles, you know, where like a defeated power is told, "Sign this treaty, or we just destroy your country." And it bred, you know, that bred a lot of anger and resentment, and kind of bad things happened in Germany in the yeah. 1930s because of it. Uh, not right. just because of that, obviously, but so much else. But I think it's the same kind of dynamic here, you know, that all that anger, all that resentment is building. And now, especially that it's like, you know, it's your kid just crashed his car into my house and you're acting like it's a, a frat prank. You know, this yeah. is not OK. I, I want to ask one more about this. And there's a couple of reaction shots we'll get to in a second. But just to finish this conversation, Laufey responds, we're beyond diplomacy now, all father. He'll get what he came for. Do you think there was anything Odin could have said in this conversation? Like, did Laufey start this conversation knowing we're at war now and I just want Odin to understand why? Is he just stalling for time? Was there something Odin could have said that might have convinced Laufey, okay, I can't let them go? What What do you think is happening here? Well, I, I, I look at it like if Odin did not arrive, like what? where would things have gone? And I, I feel like they would have, I mean, we saw them surging on these six uh, Asgardians. I feel like they would have fought tooth and nail to kill all six of them. And then knowing who they were, I, I feel like they would then use that as an opportunity to rise up and, and uh, you know, take it to, uh, to Asgard and fight Odin. Like, I feel like, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like what Thor did and like the amount of damage he caused, the the way that he reacted, the number of, of people that he killed in this fight, I just feel like it's already a done deal as far as Laufey is concerned and he's ready for war. Um, and so, I I mean, I, I think 
Odin likely couldn't have said anything. I think all Odin does here by arriving is create a, a moment uh, to pause, to have a conversation, to reflect as they kind of, as, as the, as the older people in the room, you know, kind of, you know, sit back and, and just kind of talk through what's about to happen. Right. That's, I mean, that's my sense of it. Yeah. I, I think that's, yeah. Odin's presence, you know, arrival clearly, you know, puts a, a halt on things, but I think Laufey, again, you know, was, was there a larger scheme? What's his plan? And he's going to bide his time to find the, the, the timing that's to to his greatest advantage, which is not here in a face to face throwdown with with Thor and Odin at this time, but to okay, let let them know, okay, we're we're done. Diplomacy is over, and you know all bets are off. You know, moving forward with this, I don't think Laufey was ever going to be content with an, a renegotiated right. peace, uh, and I think you know Thor clearly pushed you know i think even just thor's arrival would have been enough reason for Luffy to say look you don't belong here i'm going to give you a warning but i think clearly he was at a point where it's like okay he, he he's breached this and we're gonna we're gonna continue forward but after the slaughter that happened oh yeah there's there's no way there's any yeah. any turning back from this for the frost giants and, and i will say uh both andy and i have been pretty strong lately to some extent on team Luffy uh, in terms of seeing as more and more <laughs> of an understandable sympathetic character and I want to sort of give him good intentions here. One other way to look at it, though, in terms of asking why does he have this conversation, over the course of the conversation, he gets closer and closer to Odin. And so there may be some yeah. level of, if we're going to fight, I want to be the one to deliver the death blow to him. You know? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who knows? Which is an interesting an interesting yeah. point. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah. But but what I like about it, though, is that he's not just attacking like he doesn't yeah. just as soon as odin arrives he doesn't just rise up to him and pull out an ice dagger and attack him like they actually have this moment of conversation and i find that so intriguing and i think that speaks to kind of the royal way that uh that kenneth brana was approaching the story and saying you know these are kings they need to still be acting like kings there's a, there's a level of wisdom that they're both bringing to this particular moment in this war and uh, this this conversation needs to happen because it's carrying a lot of weight in the words as to all the different things they're saying as they're kind of essentially feeling each other out and kind of prepping for battle. Right. But on, on the other hand, I also look at this as the, this movie isn't called Odin versus Laufey. This is this is really just background dressing to Thor's mm -hmm. Thor's arc, which is this is that critical moment of okay, you've you've pushed and pushed. You're you're this arrogant kid who thinks he's entitled to all this, that is the rightful heir to the throne, and I'm gonna follow my father's footsteps. And you know, as Odin is told, you know, you're acting like a warrior, this isn't the right way to approach things. Uh and so we have to take Thor. Thor's actions have to take it to a breaking point where right. Odin is going to be forced to to deal with with Thor. Uh, you know, because now we we're at Thor has brought Asgard to the brink of war, and for me, it's it's really about that and what what will Odin's reaction to this be? Um, and for me, that's that's why I, I I picked this moment because for me, this is such a great moment as we we have that turn from Thor of like Father, let's do this to yeah. kid, shut up, let the adults talk, and how <laughs> how are they now? What's the conversation that's going to happen afterwards for that? And that 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 for me, this is a great turning point, and that's why I wanted to 
to be part of this conversation because it's the the, the beauty of the the arrival of uh, Odin and then this this critical point in their relationship. Well, I'm I'm so glad you kind of uh, pulled us back to that, and I I think you're right. There's, there's so much in there. I will say though that now I want to write Marvel and tell them about your idea because Odin versus Laufey <laughs> is a movie I want to see. I totally agree. And I watched Westworld like two years ago. Hopkins is still doing good. He's kicking around. Yes. Uh, let's make that movie. But yeah, no, I think yes. I think you're right. And I think that really kind of sums up everything that this minute is about. Like this is one of the major turning points, and I think. You see the repercussions of this in all the minutes we're going to talk about this week and probably into next week. You know, one interesting point, though, I will bring up in all this, in all the thinking that I'm doing about Laufey now as this king who's been pushed to this bring this essentially war. They don't exactly follow through in the screenplay, as we find out, as we kind of like will will. I mean, spoilers, but we will be visiting jotunheim later in the story and when we do he's just sitting on his throne still he's not like you know assembling the troops getting ready for a war or anything like that so i you know there there could have been some screenwriting elements in here that may have helped kind of cement that a little more strongly in in my mind Mm -hmm. as far as laufey being at this place that he's really ready for war although i often know the like the dynamic of the guy walked into my bar. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get you now. I'm going to get, okay, you're walking out of the bar. Well, I'll come get you tomorrow. Yeah. And then you have yeah. a drink and it's tomorrow and then it's the next day. You're going to get him one day, but you know. That's like, right. <laughs> so I, I can Just see you like, wait. Yeah. Laufey yeah. is so fired up then, but then he remembers like, oh, they did totally kick our butts last time. Yeah. So maybe yeah. not. They kicked our butts. You know, our planet's falling apart. We actually don't have a way to access the Bifrost. <laughs> so, so basically, you're saying Luffy's like, "That's right. You better keep walking." Yes, yeah. exactly. What do you mean? We're yeah, I'm surprised here. he doesn't <laughs> shout that up and like shake his fist at the Bifrost as it sucks the boy later. Don't let the Bifrost hit you on the way out. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, and of course, in the middle of that uh, conversation, we get this great um, three shots of the Asgardians in pairs of two. We see Hogan and Fandral, we see uh, Volstagg and Sif, and we see Thor and Loki. And and all of them are looking at Loki, at, not Loki necessarily, but all of them are looking at Thor, like, what's happening? What, yeah, what do you think right, is kind of going through their minds there? It, it's right on the lines, your boy sought this out. Uh, you're right, these are the actions of a boy, treat them as such. Like, I love that they're all hearing this. They're hearing these two grown-ups totally putting Thor in his place in this particular place. And they all just kind of look at him like, I don't know. It's just those looks that your friends give you like, Oh, you're oh, when so your friends trouble. are over and you get in trouble and they're just yeah. like, this is really <laughs> awkward. Yeah. And how do we leave? Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much conflict because both of some of them are like, Oh no, like poor Thor, but also like, right. good. Odin good. agrees that <laughs> Thor was an idiot. Maybe that yes. means I'm not in trouble. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I one of the I want one of them to say, I told him not to come. Yeah. <laughs> he made well, us do it. <laughs> if you think about how spoiled Thor is, especially by Frigga, like I imagine that there might have been at least one or two times where Thor was like, um, it was all you know, Fandral's idea. Anyway, so I, I think it's a good part to wrap up. Is there any other kind of last comments anyone uh, if you wanted to make about this minute? No, I just I, it's it's such a great minute. Like this is this uh, window of the film where we're getting into some incredibly complex 
familial drama here. And I just, I, I, I love all of this. I just, I, I'm still obsessed with this eight legged horse. I just, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> I can't stop looking at it. It's just such a fascinating creature. Well, it's, it's this moment, it's this minute when I think about Kenneth Branagh and Shakespeare and Elvis of like, you know, when you boil it down to the essence of Thor being sort of the the archetypal story of like unchecked youthful ambition, and this really captures that really well uh, with this, and that's one of the things that made me really you know reconnect with or connect with this movie in a new way is being able to look at it not so much as superheroes and all of this, but really you know sort of getting back to like basic elemental themes about humanity and, you know, consequences of, of, yeah. of uh, heroic flaws. Yeah, I think it's so, because like you said, you know, we've never traveled to different worlds. I, mean, I don't know your story. Maybe I've never traveled to different worlds. <laughs> but like you said, I've had my dad yell at me when my friends were over. I, I can relate yeah. to that moment. And I've been yes. a friend when someone else's parents yelled at them. Yeah. So um, I will also say, Andy, it won't be for a while and I can't promise anything, but the uh, the showrunner of Loki has said that in season one, they wanted to go a lot deeper into him being, you know, the the sexual being that crosses lines of gender mm. and orientation and even species. But they really yeah. kind of were handcuffed a bit. <laughs> but they, I, I don't think they specifically said the species part, but they said, like, you know, he's got all these crazy stories. We want to tell them. But we couldn't in season one. But in season two, they ha- the gloves are off. So oh, wow. I kind of hope maybe that they, they continuity <laughs> forget that this character horse has already shown up and let, let us see some of, you know, uh, you know, Tom Hiddleston. That's some, some way that's going to, you know, merging into a horse. And I don't know what the hell is going to happen. So many exciting stories for season two and beyond. <laughs> to be clear, that is Tom Hiddleston's CGI shifting and then a horse being on screen. Just for anyone yes. who dramatically misunderstood, this is a family podcast. Thank you very much. Um, now, as I remove my foot from my mouth, uh, Steve, why don't you close us out uh, for people who have been... Uh, you're on the next reel more than I am, so probably people know about you. But for folks who are listening to this, it's their first next reel podcast, how can they find more of you? Uh, well, I am, you know, one of the hosts slash co-hosts of Trailer Rewind, which is one of the one of the podcasts within the whole next reel true story family of podcasts. Uh, I'm also occasionally showing up on the film board on the sat mat. So you can find me all over the place uh, at the, the next reel. Cause I just love talking about movies and I guess you can also find me on Twitter at, is it Mr. Steve 23? And you can find me on uh, Flickchart and Letterboxd. I'm all over the place, uh, re- putting out my reviews of movies and TV shows. So that's uh, where people can find me. I can say, as we're recording this, I'm coming off of just recording a sat mat and a trailer rewind, which will have posted well before this. Uh, <laughs> so if, if, if you aren't aware of those things, you can always go check those out in the podcast feeds out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, really great conversation. Andy, as always, thank you. And most importantly, to all of our fans, thank you so much. It's going to be a really fun week because we get a couple of different guests in. Please stay tuned for all of it. And most importantly, have a nice day. Until next time, true believers. Hondo. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Bye.